0: Everything out there in the world you can you can find you got books collectibles uh, pop-up greeting cards They have all kinds of amazing items and right now you can get 35% off site-wide by using the code DC News 35. That's D-C-N-E-W-S-3-5. dcnews N-E-W-S 3 5 DC News 35, use that code and receive 35% off site-wide at insighteditions.com.
1: Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of the DC Comics News Podcast and this week is another special episode with a great creator interview with us this evening is the brilliant Matthew K Manning, the man who's given us gems like the Batman vault. Anatomy of the Metahuman and we'll be talking about his new book Exploring Gotham City which is out in a couple of weeks time from Insight Editions. Joining Matthew and myself is Brad Felicki always with us. Hi Brad.
2: Hey how's everybody doing?
1: And Kendra Hale. Hello hello. And the man himself Matthew K Manning. Thanks for joining us. How are you?
3: I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, we've got lots to talk about, a brand new book on the way, and obviously you've already got some great hits under your belt already. So let's start with the questions. So over to Kendra.
0: I think my first question would be, what was your favorite part of setting up this book, of dissecting everything and, and giving us all this information that is absolutely wonderful?
3: <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I have a, a- Favorite part? I really always like um, digging into the um, some of the Anton first uh, architecture. That because um, Anton first did the designs for the '89 Batman movie, and then he was hired by Denny O'Neill to do designs for the comic book universe. So anytime we do that, like uh, Old Wayne Tower or the Gotham City uh, Police Department building, those kind of things, it, it always brings back some nice nostalgia from when I was first reading.
0: Very cool, uh, Brad.
2: Okay, and. You know, uh, the insight edition books, they are these incredible pieces of art and such encyclopedic knowledge goes into them and everything. And I wonder if you could give a little insight, pardon the pun, <laughs> on uh, how how that all comes together. Do they come to you with the concept? Do you pitch them? And how is the art put together? And how, how, how is that whole process?
3: Uh, I think all of the Insight books that I've done so far have been um, Insight projects where they've approached me about them. Uh, the first book I did for them was a Wolverine uh, guide, um, which was, um, oh, I'm trying, I, I did two Wolverine books. I'm trying to remember the name of this one. It was, it was uh, oh, The World According to Wolverine, which what? It was. so it was, it was kind of like his um, anecdotes and, and uh, like his advice. Um, and then we did one about uh, Joker after that. And so it was kind of like, um, several different editors, um, have approached me with different projects there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we just kind of, I've, I think I've done, I want to say about a dozen books or so for them, um, at, at the present, I think we did, um, I, I co-wrote a couple of those, I, the Anatomy of Metahuman, um, was, uh, a co-wrote, I've a co-written book. And, uh, so it's kind of, it, they kind of range. I've done a couple projects or even actual, um, comic books for them, so Kind of gone over the whole spectrum. I have another one that just came out, which was um, the it's a book about sideshows, uh, fine art prints, and so it kind of mm-hmm. discusses all the um, all their fine art print program and shows just some amazing art. And I just got the copies of those so cool. a couple weeks ago. So, <laughs> uh,
2: so cool. I can't wait to see that.
3: It's, I think it's out now. Actually, I I was behind on it because it was one of those jobs that I had to kind of do in between a. a some other larger scale projects, it was more um, the word count was less, even though it's a big book, it does. It's more art based. So it was one of those that I was doing on, I know, in between other larger projects like uh, this Exploring Gotham one, which had a lot more uh, research involved. But luckily, it's bat research. So that's always the easiest kind for me.
1: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: And Steve? Is that the book you were finishing up last week, Matthew, that we were talking about over the last couple of weeks? Uh, no, is that that's one a, you needed to finish?
3: Um, that's actually a book for Abrams that's, um, that I'm working on. It's actually a Marvel Ooh. book and I'm, I don't think it's officially announced yet. So <laughs> I've done that. And then I did, a, um, uh, another book. That okay.
1: Has, so we won't, we won't, we won't pressure you on. That yeah. One then.
3: <laughs> yeah. I have two other books that haven't been announced yet that are actually, um, well, one is completely finished. Uh, um, this one, this Marvel project for Abrams has been uh, written by me, but it hasn't been, uh, Marvel hasn't even seen it yet, so we still, I'm anticipating some notes from them and kind of figure out where we are. Sometimes we get a lot of notes and sometimes very little, so <laughs> it's one of those wait-and-see games, but it, it's a, it's another one that I'm really excited about. It's um, a book that's in-universe, which is kind of fun, so it's, it's more along the long lines of a, a Batman Files type book. I don't know if you remember, saw that book that I did, um, which was it's kind of like, yeah. Or, like, um, for Abrams, I also did a book um, of, of about the secret files of Barry Allen and the secret files of, I think we did a Supergirl one. Um, I never get to name them, so that's why I always have trouble uh, <laughs> remembering the titles. I've written, like, 91 books at this point. I think this is my 91st one I just finished. So, uh, it, But um, which were very much in-world for the CW shows, the Flash and Supergirl books. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it leans more towards that kind of project, which was, was a lot of fun, too.
1: i'm glad you brought those up because the first time i came across your work was the batman vault which was um published in the uk by titan but it was an insight production and that was the first time i came across a book that was filled with like inserts and pullouts and memorabilia please tell me about the process of, of gathering all the really cool stuff in that book
3: uh that actually um dc actually organized almost all of the uh Artifact, I guess, that they uh, in that book. That was more. Um, this was before the years of DC Entertainment, where there so there were less people working on the book, and that has its advantages and disadvantages, just like anything else. But um, for that, we were working so closely with DC that they, they had access to their art, uh, you know, to all the archives and the um, comic library and things, and so they were just pulling a lot of stuff out. And um, for the Batman vault, uh, Bob Greenberger had already written uh, the first draft of the book, and because uh, we co-wrote that one. And so I was working um, directly with his his copy and kind of uh, actually that was another one where I was pulled on really late in the game. It was uh, my first I want to say it was my first actual book from uh, for D.C. I'd written some comics at that point, Uh, but it was I think my first book. I wrote it two weeks uh, before uh, my wedding and then two weeks after my honeymoon. So it was, uh, they were, DC was very patient. They actually wouldn't even uh, let me email them during my honeymoon because I was like, I can check in. And they're like, no, no. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so that was, uh, that was fun. But it was kind of just like, uh, you know, um, if it was any other character, it probably would have been a little bit more difficult for me. But I grew up um, a Batman guy, uh, first and foremost. So those projects are always kind of second nature to me. I can really kind of. Do them a bit faster because I don't I don't have to double check my facts as much. (laughs) For not me, although actually these days, the last probably, you know, 10, 15 years of comics, I have a harder time remembering. Like the comic I read last week, I can't remember as much as a comic I read, you know, in 1989.
1: (laughs) I know that feeling very well.
3: (laughs) I think I've hit a wall of how many uh, how many uh, comic books you can read in a lifetime. I I know I'm over. I know I've read over 20,000 comics. Um, but I'm not sure the exact number
1: anymore. <laughs> wow, thanks so much. Kendra, your next question.
0: With um, with the insight that, that these books give, I mean, you not only get to reference, like you said, classic stories, and and in this one, you also get the, the joy of being able to see their impact on, on Gotham City as of today. Um, was there a favorite part of the city that you got to showcase that held a little bit more love for you?
3: Um, Well, a a lot of that goes back to still the, um, you know, some of those Anton first designs like visually. Um, But it's always, it's actually really fun to just kind of dive into anything that hasn't been um, like, I really like these specialized books. Uh, I I did a book for insight about the daily planet, um, which actually came with a a cool like wooden figure that like of the daily planet globe that you put together. Um, but it was a complete history of the Daily Planet. And since it was such a specific uh, subject, it's really fun because you can pretty much tell almost everything uh, about the subject. So, like, when I got to write about, like, Amusement Mile or things like that, I really got to, you know, kind of dive in and say as, as, as many facts as I could about that certain location. But even then, we trimmed – we still had to trim a lot of stuff out, unfortunately. <laughs> I uh, Like, for that entry, I can remember I wanted to put um, – I never got around to – we never got to put it in, but I wanted to talk about some of the um, – uh, reasons why uh, Gotham city has failed uh, uh, amusement parks like often <laughs> but we had to really kind of focus in on on specific uh, you know like a specific the, that specific park although I did I think I talked about um the theme park from the um Gotham Knights mini series if I'm remembering right it's been a while since I, and like I said yeah, I actually yeah, haven't yeah, seen yeah, the book yeah, physically yet so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm waiting to get my copies then. I think the comp department takes a little longer. Um, so, and especially everything now during the pandemic has taken way longer to get copies of everything. But um, yeah, I haven't, but I've seen them, I've seen the art for it because they'll send it to me and ask if I have any other things. It was actually um, insights. This is kind of going on a tangent, but um, if you'll notice on every page, there are little um, Easter eggs of characters doing things uh, in, you know, in the settings and, um, that was actually um, Insight's idea. They wanted to, when they started getting the artwork back, they realized, oh, you know, it's kind of static because it's all, you know, buildings and locations and interiors. And um, can we do anything to spice it up? And so I thought, oh, we can do, I did like, um, it was my thought to do kind of like little stories that ran through several of them. So you would see, I think in the Wayne Manor, you see Catwoman um, breaking I the
1: I ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs>
3: So I have her breaking it. That was the, the idea of making it little stories was was where my uh, contribution was. They um, they just wanted like characters doing things, and I thought, well, oh, you know, might as well tell a story, kind of like using the rooms as comic panels. And so we have Catwoman kind of sneaking through Wayne Manor. In the back cave, we have the League of Assassins, uh, you know, slowly fighting like the whole back crowd kind of thing. And then, uh, so we kind of did that. I think I threw in some, I threw in. I'm a big fan of the. Uh, The Outsiders, Batman and the Outsiders, um, is one of my first comics I ever read. Uh, Well, my very first comic I ever read was Batman and the Outsiders, number 10. um, And um, that was, uh, so I always have to put in Outsiders whenever I can. And I was happy that they let me do the Wayne Foundation building. Um, So we got to do a little bit of that in there. At least if it made the final cut, I still haven't seen it, like I said. (laughs) It's there. It's definitely there. (laughs) Because that one was... In continuity, that is in question. Is there a Wayne Foundation building as well as the uh, the Kane building where Batwoman operates out of? And how many buildings in Gotham have trees growing in the center of them? You know, it's kind of, uh, it, it's been, it, so I, I, I wanted to kind of touch on all eras of um, Batman as much as I could. So luckily I got to throw in some of that, um, the Wayne Foundation stuff. I, I always really enjoyed when um, bat, uh, when Bruce left the Batcave for a bit yeah. and had it penthouse and could access the city and there was uh, all those cool um, i want to say it was one of the digests that had some of the uh the secret tunnel where you saw where the batmobile came out it had like the because i always love those charts um, when you see them like the maps of the hideouts or the cutaways of like titan's tower or something so that's that's a re- another reason this book was so much fun because was kind of like just a whole book that was that you
0: know <laughs> pretty Thank you. I love that answer. It'll be fun looking for all these Easter eggs as we turn the pages. Brad?
2: You have done so many deep dives on characters and locations throughout, you know, Marvel, DC, all these different universes. Is there a particular character or location that you haven't had a chance to do that with that you would like to? Uh,
3: If, if we're talking about, like, I mean, I have... Um, couple things that I want to do specifically for um, comics and a couple things I'd like to do for books. Uh, Book wise, I'd really, really love to write a history of the Thundercats. Um, that's another one of the properties that's, that's been like very much uh, something that I've loved ever since I was a kid. Um, and also uh, Dick Tracy. I'd love to write a uh, history about Dick Tracy. I'd love to do comics about both those uh, character groups as well. Um, but yeah, my one, those two and then um, Batman, Spider-Man and Ninja Turtles are what I grew up on and i've got i've been lucky enough to write batman uh, turtles and uh man so i got to i got to knock uh, knock those other two off the list so, <laughs> whether in book form or comics yeah
2: nice cool thank you thank you for that answer and steve
1: oh, is, is it, you're almost leading my questions for me thank you for that because yeah we talked about obviously these brilliant um, books which are like really great reference guides but you also make them entertainments but again you're a comic book writer but you've also written tv scripts i mean if memory serves you've written for the batman strikes legion of superheroes um how do you juggle all that and is there a favorite um your prose work your comic book work or your your tv script writing work
3: well as far i've I've actually not written um scripts themselves for tv Ah, stories Um, i've just written the tie-in comics and things like that um i've not got to do i I did write a short movie um that was made an independent movie a long time ago that i sold to an independent filmmaker and they made that and i was uh it wasn't the best experience but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's kind of like for me what i'd like to do with all these different like between because i'll do chapter books um and comic scripts and i'll do you know these big prose books and for me it's kind of nice to have like a little bit uh, you know dip my toe into all of it at different times it's it can be really refreshing after you've had like uh written uh you know a big encyclopedia to write something fiction um and it can be this i can op- go the op- opposite way as well where okay i don't have to use that creative part of my brain i can just i mean you still have to do for sentence structure and you know but it's not the it's not the same kind of animal where it's like oh i can just read comics for a while and then write about them you know that's <laughs> that's a nice break too so it's it. It's, um, it's fun really to juggle. I don't know if I would originally, I set out just to write comics and I'm not sure I would just go that direction anymore. Um, I'm not sure. And I, I have a passing interest in writing things like film and, uh, TV, but it's really comics are my main, are my main thing. And, uh, I would actually really like to write um, some comic strips as well. I did, um, some creator own stuff originally with that kind of stuff, some humor strips and things like that, but I never really got to, uh, explore that like I would. So maybe maybe one of these days. (laughs) But and one of the nice things about it is that um especially with like this last year has been a little uh a little crazy, but um to be able to, you know, have uh different um avenues available to oh I can try to talk to my book editors and see if anybody has a project or I can look you know and and check with all the comic guys and things like that. So it's 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 been I've been more fortunate that I can kind of switch gears and work on a a project. um, I mean, which keeps, you know, for freelance, you have to constantly keep working if you want to eat. So
1: <laughs> it, it's been helpful. Yeah, we know that feeling, don't we, guys? Absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Kendra.
0: Your resume, it's, it's just it's astounding. It's all over the place from Marvel to Scooby-Doo to Batman to even reaching into uh, the kids genre with Xander and the rainbow barfing what is your your favorite genre (laughs) to write like is there one that comes easier is there one where you're just like oh yes this is where we're going
3: it actually it kind of depends on uh, mood and what i'm like some like i just go through phases where i'll be really interested in um uh, a certain topic or something you know like i'm uh, like, I'll go through, oh, I've got to go, you know, I'm, like, really in, like, for instance, like, uh, uh, I want to read some, like, Dick Tracy from the 1940s, you know, and I'll be really into that for a couple weeks. <laughs> and if I'm doing something otherwise, which I've, I've not worked on Dick Tracy, so I normally have to do something else for work, and it's kind of like, oh, that's not as fun. Um, it's best when everything lines up, like, if I'm in a real, like, DC Comics mood and I'm on a DC project, that's great. It's like, uh, because, like, and I think you can tell sometimes when i in that way, because your enthusiasm just naturally, you want to be in the office and you want to be working, um. And a lot of times for me lately, it's been um, I've been developing some uh, creator owned comic ideas. And for those, um, those have been um, more exciting for me to work on right now, just because it's kind of like, Oh, here's my own thing. I'm trying to, and I mean, who knows if any of these will get off the ground. I have um, a couple artists um, that I've paired with, but we'll see sometimes these, everybody, the paying work comes first. And so you'll work on creative, you know, creator owned on the side because not, you can't always guarantee a paycheck with those. So it's, but that's been something i've been really um excited to work on and as far as that um the the xander and the rainbow barfing unicorns which was a complete surprise to me i did i wasn't sure about it they approached me with just the title they said this is we just have a title of a chapter book series we're looking for a writer uh we didn't know if that would be something because you like you know you do ninja turtles and do some kind of zany stuff do you want to do something like that and so i went upstairs and told um my daughters the name and they couldn't stop laughing and and I was like, all right, that's something that seems like something of fun. And that just turned out to be an extremely rewarding thing to work on. I'd write the books and then um, that would be our um, bedtime stories at night. I have a now they're um, seven and ten, but um, they're a couple years younger. And they just really it was one of the first things that they all would listen and be excited about. So that that proved to be a, a fun little uh, divergence there <laughs> from the norm.
0: <laughs> have your own little critique audience
3: yeah that it is i do get um they actually helped with story ideas for that particular book um because i i thought all if the if the um for these unicorns they they they're they're talking unicorns from another um, dimension it's kind of a send-up on my little pony tropes and things and um one thing they do if they don't eat garbage they barf rainbows so they can't eat regular regular food and that's kind of like the the gag of this of the book and um and so my oldest daughter said, oh, their hideout should be in, the, in, the, in a junkyard. And I'm like, it should be in a junkyard. That's great. <laughs> and <laughs> and so she, she came up with that. And then my youngest came out with, um, I was like, I need a funny name for a, a, a world where no one's allowed to talk. And my, um, my youngest said, shush your bum. So
1: <laughs> that became <laughs> that the, name of the, of the land where no one was allowed to talk. Oh. <laughs> I hope these girls are on commission. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're
1: they're, they're some of
3: it besides, you know, uh, dinners—free <laughs> dinner for 18 years, I guess, is what they get.
0: <laughs> Not a bad trade-off. Yeah. Uh,
2: how how do you approach your research with these with these um, like Insight book projects? These more. Um, v- you know, like encyclopedia, that word again, uh, projects, it seems like it would be so daunting just to do all the research that goes into a project like that.
3: Uh, it, it can be, especially because a lot of times, um, for the book projects, especially a lot of the time is spent, um, negotiating between the book publisher and say Marvel or DC. And that's just part of the process. They have to do it. But by the time it gets to me, a lot of times our deadlines are shorter than I'd like them to be. So <laughs> for, um, for for instance the book i just did was a very a very fast turnaround and a lot of research and so that that that's the daunting part of it um if i had a little extra time um for that for this last book i would have liked an extra month but i i i mean it's it's extremely thorough the way it is now so i probably didn't need it but (laughs) but for these a lot of a lot of it's just um uh, reading um grabbing as many trade paperbacks you know from either my shelf or ordering some or you know I always see what uh, my local comic shop has first because I'm in I'm still in the comic store every I uh, head in every Wednesday, um, at least. Uh, and uh, it, um, so a lot of it's uh, and a lot of it's uh, not as daunting because I keep up with a lot of the titles. Um, I've fallen behind on some. i That's the problem. When you when you work on a book like this, say I'll get a Wolverine book and then I'll work and I'll only be reading. I'll read like 400 Wolverine comics or something, but that means I can't read anything else. And by the time the work is over, I'm not really interested in watching anything superhero or related or reading anything superhero related for fun. I'm just kind of like, I've done the superhero part of my day, you know? <laughs> and so that's when I can fall, uh, fall behind. I have a good, I want to say at least a good thou- a thousand comics that are just in boxes being, you know, waiting to be read. So <laughs> the, oh, I'm, I'm, slowly, I'm slowly getting in through the pandemic, helped me catch up a bit on some of it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm just constantly and I'm reading comics, I'm constantly reading, um, books, or if I'm, I'll listen, I listen to a lot of audio books, too, to kind of catch up on other things, uh, other genres and things while, that way I can do it while I'm doing dishes or, you know, some mowing a lawn, that sort of thing, too, so constantly taking things in, yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the parts about, about being a writer, is you kind of, I want to be influenced by a lot of things, not just comics, so that's why I have to make times for it, you know, I, also, as far as movies go, too, I would, um, I often try to watch a lot of movies that I normally wouldn't. Um, and like, if it's a, and one thing that helped me, I always would watch every movie up for Best Picture, and I fall behind on that. Um, or you know, or, and I and also I, I realize I normally only really like the best screenplay ones, but I try to watch a little bit of everything, you know, to try to uh, try to get some influences coming from other sources. So, but yeah, it's mostly just sitting down and, and reading the stuff and you know and luckily i remember a lot when it comes to superhero stuff <laughs> so that that helps um but I, I do this last book i actually took 165 pages of notes and the book was 160 pages long so actually <laughs> wow. more notes than the actual finished project uh, pro- <laughs> product for the book
2: great thank you for that answer and steve
1: yeah, I feel that. I'm, I'm in a similar predicament. I've got another show called Superheroes for Dummies, um, which they did want to be weekly, but the amount of research I have to do means that twice a month is all they're getting. Uh, for the Swamp Thing episode, I read close to 200 comics, so that was hard. So yeah. this that leads me to my next question is, when you handle these massive tomes that you do, do you have access to the DC vaults, Marvel vaults, etc.? is a lot of it from your own comic book collection how do you manage to i mean with exploring gotham city it made me pull out long boxes to read some of those stories again and it was brilliant seeing little jason todd pulling the the tires off the batmobile and and uh gates of gotham and all that other stuff that you brought up in your book made me want to read those comics again how do you go about doing that research do you get given certain open doors or how does it work
3: uh, it it kind of depends on the projects, but lately it's been a lot less uh, as far as um, getting things. It's it's very hard to get. Um, DC can send assets, but just the process takes so long, and the deadline will take a long time. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, I don't have enough in the deadline. You know, it take a lot of time of the deadline if I if I just relied on DC. Um, a lot of for the, Batman specifically, I pretty much have everything I need here. Um, not because I, I have a massive Batman collection for Marvel. I have a massive collection, but they're all in trade paperbacks, um, which I've been trying to find. Uh, I just can't bring myself since Batman was the first character I ever collected. I haven't ever. Um, I just keep buying Batman in issue form. But Marvel, I buy lots of trades uh, and the subscription services uh, have been helped. I know DC just launched there, so that will be helpful in the future, I should say. But uh, Marvel has been uh, helpful. Actually, DC's I was a member of their um, oh, what was it? their streaming service. I'm not DC. I can't remember it, the name now, but that actually helped me pulling a lot of stuff on some of the more recent books, um, stuff that I just don't have. Um, and then, you know, I just have to kind of, uh, find things where I can back issue bins and, you know, the, uh, the occasional library book, which is nice. Um, because when I was a kid, I can't believe the things you can request from the, <laughs> the library these days. Like when I was a kid, you know, we had one collection of the Hulk, Uh, one collection of Spider-Man and I think there was um, a couple Dick Tracy things. And then a lot of like news newspaper strip things like Calvin Hobbes and, and, but I read everything that was at our library, (laughs) but uh, kids today are spoiled, you can pretty much request almost any trade paperback um, which is really nice. Uh, And so, you know, things like that have been helpful. They can um, sometimes, uh, depending on the project, they'll give me a budget for certain, uh, things that I can go out and buy some. Um, sometimes they've sent DC before it was DC Entertainment. Um, they, some of the editors would just send me boxes of stuff, and I for for um, Batman files in particular, oh, cool. they sent me a, a big box of trade paperbacks. And I wow. said, I have all these things. <laughs> like, and they're like, we just want to make sure all the pages are not because they wanted me to reference the page numbers from the trade paperbacks. So they sent me all these trade paperbacks for it, and I was like, all right, I don't really need these, but thank you. That was very nice. <laughs>
1: Who's going to say no to that?
3: Yeah, it didn't make it easier. Um, I wish that still happened. That really hasn't happened on any um, projects lately. Actually, Sideshow sent me a a lot of stuff that wasn't really – they sent me a couple of examples of some of their books, which is very nice, but then they also sent me one of their um, uh, really nice uh, deluxe action figures of the Joker, and they sent me me a print, and so I was like, oh, that's a – I want to work more for Sideshow, so (laughs) – but, uh, yeah, it, it, it really is mostly, like, scouring to find the stuff. Um, my personal Batman collection, I think my detectives go back to, uh, I want to say, definitely the um, the Englehart Hart era. I have everything from then. And, uh, Fantastic. At least issue 300 from Batman. But then I have a lot of sporadic issues between then. And then a lot of stuff in trades or archives. The stuff that I could never afford. <laughs> but I, I, like I said, I've been collecting, you know, uh, since been going weekly to the comic store since 89. So
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're kindred spirits. My Batman collection sporadically goes back to the 40s and 50s, but it's completely uninterrupted from 1984 to present. That's Batman Detective miniseries and his other appearances. As well. So I, I, I feel you. And uh, if you want if it from one researcher to another, Hoopla Digital, it's magic i love that one it's great um every library in the world digitally at your fingertips go for that it's brilliant thank you matt brilliant answer kendra
0: what is a question that you wish was asked more of you in interviews and what would be your answer to that question
3: oh that's a hard one <laughs> um, uh i'm i'm not really sure i normally everybody's been doing such a good job lately every time i'm i'm doing one of these um probably i I like it if, I mean, I don't have anything right now to talk about, but, um, once I do have, um, creator-owned books, I always like to, you know, be able to talk about, you know, personal projects or plug other things like that. Um, just to, because it is harder to get creator-owned books in stores. Um, but I have, uh, really nothing yet to talk about on that front. So (laughs) things, uh, you know, in development that I'm, I, I'm not allowed to say any names of anything yet, but, uh, so it's like, um. I guess I guess that would be it, but um, otherwise there's not. Everybody's they're pretty thorough these days.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh
2: do you do you write fiction and nonfiction stuff at the same time, uh, or do you you know depending on your schedule? And is it hard to shift gears creatively between the two for you?
3: Um, it. I have done that in the past. I prefer not to if I can, but it, uh, you know, you can't really. I don't often turn down um, comic projects, especially if they're fun ones. <laughs> so, like, um, I was writing, I want to, I can't remember if it was, it's been so a while now. I feel like um, I was writing, I know I was writing Batman A Visual History, which is uh, a DK book, a month by month history of Batman, where we literally talk about everything from the 39 until now. And I think I had this schedule a week in there to write a comic, um, and I can't remember what it was now. It might have been an Inja, a Ninja Turtle project or something around. I feel like I was doing things around that era, but um, the, the problem with that particular book is then they had to decrease our deadline by a month, so all of a sudden, all the, my all these things that were all lined up to work perfectly didn't work, and so I ended up not being able to write the 1960s section of that book, which still bothers me. I wish I got to do it. I did get to outline it and chose, choose all the comics for it and kind of point why we're talking about these comics and then i got to they let me come in and um proofread and change anything but it was i still didn't get to i was saving that actually for the last because i thought it'd be a fun one to work on and then they're like we have to have another writer come in i'm like oh <laughs> so, so they can't i mean i that's that was a case where the deadline was increased but um i really try not to overbook anything i don't think i've ever really overbooked because i i think i've made every single deadline that was the deadlines in the contracts so um, I, 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 have worked on something and also, you know, some days, uh, some of these book projects, I'll work five days of the week on the book project. And then on the sixth day, I'll try to, I'll, I'll feel inspired to do a, work on something on my own or, or, you know, get started on a, one that's coming up soon, but it's, it's really not that hard to, to shift gears. Um, I mean, unless the, it's harder to shift from fiction to something, uh, from one fiction to another, I guess I should say. So it's harder to write. Like when I was, writing Beware the Batman, it would be hard to switch gears to write Ninja Turtles on that, like on the same day, I wouldn't be really probably do it. But um, just because I get so much in the characters heads, um, that can be hard. Nonfiction is much easier because you can just kind of, you know, the facts stay the same. Um, but when you're writing characters, I really try to, I want to be involved in that world as much as I can. If you're doing a character voice or something, cause, so the voice matches throughout. So if you're shifting from one to another, it can be difficult if they're from different universes or something
2: okay great thank you so much for that answer and steve that's great it ties into my question
1: as well beautifully because you co-wrote one of my favorite books of the last few years anatomy of a metahuman which is fiction and non-fiction in one sort of thing because you're looking at how these powers work and it's brilliant that you wrote it from batman's perspective as if it was his um guide on finding the weaknesses of the justice league from the grant morrison run and how did that work i mean because i see a lot of stuff in there that is definitely based on on comics but did you speak to any um anatomy specialists uh, doctors medics for some of the other stuff because the the depth and, and the illustrations in that book as well i love that book. please tell us a bit more of how you got to work on that one.
3: Oh sure um but actually, all the anatomy and all the scientific or the um, kind of like the faux scientist stuff, that was all my co-writer, S.D. Perry. And uh, she just did an amazing job. She really, you know, figured out uh, her version of how these things would work in real life. Um, I remember she was most frustrated with Aquaman because she just she's like, I just can't wrap my head around how the density would work, you know, down that deep at the bottom of the right. ocean. And uh, so, but I left most of, um, almost all of that was up to her. I came in um, for that book. I, my job was to put it in Batman speak. So I came in and wrote it as Batman. Um, and then I I'm just kind of like, she she had all the facts. I rewrote it as Batman. And then if there were things that contradicted uh, the comics, um, there was, there might have been a couple little things in there that contradicted a couple things in the comics here or there. But it, it was, they were so minor that I felt like, you know, it was her her theory was more important than you know sticking exactly um to it we i think almost always though we did um and so yeah that was i was i was kind of the fact checker or the um you know all this they've they've already done this in the dc universe that sort of thing or um and i was the one that i wrote all the um all the sections about anything more comic based so There was like the scene uh, or I mean a section where it's like I think the notes, um, the audio notes from when Bane was being experimented on. So I'd write sections like that or I'd write like um, I wrote all of this is how Batman's theories on how to defeat all of the all the characters if need be. Um, And so all the more comic aspects were for me um, because she's not really um, a comic person per se. She more um, her background's more in science fiction and writing. Um, these really, I mean, interesting type of books like this, where it's, you know, um, uh, it, it sounds like it could be plausible science and where I wouldn't be able to do nearly as good a job as she does for that. <laughs> so.
1: It was seamless. Um, it, it read like straight out of the comics, but the detail, you've, you've it felt really medically sound. So I, I love that book. Thank you so much. Kendra.
0: What is the... What are the differences in how you prepare for, let's say, like you know, being an outsider looking in while writing a comic book versus being the voice of an actual character, like you did with the journals for Joker, Harley, or, um, for the the world of or as seen by. What is the difference in how you prepare for that with the way the tone shifts in perspective?
3: Um, it's, I it I guess the I mean the the difference that you can be a little bit more clinical with um. Um, when you're writing in as, you know, just as a a researcher writing about the comics and stuff, I do prefer like when we get to put a spin on it, like, um, the Batman files does tell, uh, pretty much all of Batman's entire history, but it's from his voice. And so that was a lot of fun just to write in that voice. It's more, it can be more creative to think, oh, how would he say it, you know, um, at the same time. It gets really depressing when you write about Batman's entire life from his point of view because he just not much good happens to him. <laughs> so there, was that aspect of it. Um, actually, when after writing um, the Batman Files and everything, I, I, I was um, offered either to write um, the world according to Joker or the world according to Batman, and I chose Joker in a heartbeat just because it was it was it would be it was going to be a nice relief <laughs> to switch the voice to like a a, a silly zany you know kind of thing. Um, One thing that happens is I do a way – I do a lot more bad impressions of characters' voices out loud in my desk downstairs. So my family thinks I go a little crazy, you know. (laughs) Like when I was writing The Batman Turtles, there was a lot of uh, bad Mark Hamill Joker impression going on. Um, uh, Just because I, I always read everything I write out loud afterwards just to make sure everything actually sounds natural like the character. So there's a lot of that, whereas, you know. Uh, I can when I proofread something of like say the Batman Visual History, it's more of a monotone, like <laughs> just making sure all the word the sentences flow nicely and, and the structure is not off.
0: Thank you. I really like that. That pers- that you know, it's it's not often that you get to hear what the difference is on how an approach happens. So I like that you you let us know that you know instead of continuing on with Batman, you were ready to to jump onto Joker because it was you know that. That different st- that different set of minds. So I appreciate that, Brad.
2: You know, I find that it's not easy to find other fans of comic strips, like newspaper comic strips. So I'm curious how, what your favorite one is and why.
3: Um, I that would be it would be tough. Um, maybe the all around perfect strip I think is probably Calvin Hobbs. Um, it's and I didn't know that Bill Watterson lived fairly close to where I did growing up. Uh, I have I have two friends now in comics that are both actually uh, good friends with him. And so it, they, they both described to me, you know, oh, he's only, you know, not too far from your house. So that would have been huge for me as a kid if I, if I would have gone and stalked his house. I'm sure he would have liked that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so probably Calvin Hobbs, I love the, um, the Dick Tracy from the, I want to say, Uh, around 45, maybe to 1945 to like, I don't know, probably about 55 even Um, though that era. I like a lot. I love uh, peanuts at the beginning um, early peanut strips where the, the style is a little bit, uh, I don't know. I, I I like, I like the style that he started with rather than what it kind of evolved to later on. And I some of those strips are just still laugh out loud, funny, which is really impressive uh, to hold up that long. So uh, those are probably my, my top three. I can narrow it down to that maybe. Also, I really like the, uh, the. He's not um, not on the visual side as good, but um, uh, Gary Larson's *Far Side* it was was a big had a big impression on me as a kid too. <laughs> yeah. I used to that was some of the first comics I ever did was on one panel comic strips um, for like my my school paper and the school uh, and I actually did it for our local newspaper for they let me do it for like four weeks for that. So those are those are uh, that was a big influence on me
2: back then. <laughs> Cool. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. And
1: Steve? Yeah, all of those are absolute winners. Brilliant. Um, I wanted to ask about personally your connection with comics. And um, this is one I like to throw at writers. Can you remember the first comic that you ever loved as a child? And what was the comic you picked up that made you think comics have grown up? This is what comics can be.
3: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I actually did start with um, reading. I've always loved any kind of that, just the comic format. So I really started reading comics was probably, um, I mean, every, every every week with the newspaper, um, the Sunday funnies and things. So that was probably the first place I actually read any kind of comics. And then um, I sought out a lot of collections for those. But then um, my f- very first comic book was Batman and the Outsiders number 10. And that was just a huge influence on me as far as like. I, I don't know. I mean, I still have that original copy and it's just shredded. It's destroyed because I must have read it so many times as a kid. Like, like, who are these other people? I knew I knew Batman was from Super Friends or like, you know, guest appearances on Scooby-Doo or the Adam West show. But I didn't know um, who all these other characters were. And I think that's where it started to open up. There's a large universe. Um, so I never understand when people um, say, oh, this is too daunting A numbering like a pickup issue like 400 of a comic. This is too daunting. There's too many in there. But that was really a lot of the appeal to me was um, after that I went to the comic store and just there was so much there to explore and like, oh, I could find all this stuff. Um, But I think when my my aunt um, gave me a copy of um, for Christmas, one of the first there weren't that many trade paperbacks back then. And she gave me a copy because of Batman Year One. And um, and that was that was one that really affected me as well as Dark Knight Returns. um, And I read those about the exact right age. Cause um, so I, I was in, I think, yeah, fifth grade when um, the uh, 89 Batman movie hit. And that was, that was it for me. I went from being this comic strip guy to having to do comic books because once I started reading some of those, those early legends of the Jar- dark Knight series, I was, I was just completely, oh, yeah. hooked. they were these were just like the perfect comics for me. And I still, I think, I mean, I don't know if there's that many better Batman stories than what was coming out at that time. And, which is interesting because everybody thinks that because of nostalgia, but like being a Batman historian mm-hmm. who's actually read almost everything, it's like really hard yeah. to say, you know, this this probably is the best it's ever been. <laughs> you know, there's been some, you know, every era has some um, really good comics, but uh, um, that was probably that early uh, or that late '80s period for Batman was really the the highlight, and and you could see so much influence on the Tim Burton movie, and I was still. Oh, yeah. I was still new enough to comics that I didn't critique the movie as I'm sure I know people just like a few years older than me. Um, were like, Oh, this isn't like the comics. Why is he wearing all black? Why is he not, uh, why is he not this, you know, muscular guy? But to me, it hit it. It was always like an Elseworld, um, kind of, yeah. view of, well, this is an alternate reality. And I just absolutely love those, those first two Batman movies. I absolutely love, um, more than any Batman movies that have come since. And I've liked a lot of them, but, uh, so that, and, and that I can chalk up also to a lot of, there's a lot of nostalgia involved in that too. But those, I'm also a very visual person, and those, the visuals, I, you, they haven't been beaten in any other Batman film. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Tim Burton and uh, Anton First and Bo Welch's designs are just it, some great stuff. So,
1: well, hence the using them again in exploring Gotham City, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and well, Legends I- of the Dark Knights coming back, Matthew.
3: Oh, yeah, I've heard, actually, I've, uh, I hope maybe I'll get it. I'll try. I'm going to always, I always, when I see these things, I always kind of like send a pitch in and hope something works out or, you know, I'll talk to editors and hope I can get on a book like that. Cause that's the, I was very sad when that one first, that got canceled. Cause I was really starting the first, the first incarnation. I was just starting to do comics around that time and they ended. And I'm like, ah, that's the dream. But <laughs> yeah. luckily I've got to do some of those story ideas in, uh, other places. And, uh, So I I think like one of the first comics I've ever pitched was uh, set in during the No Man's Land um, era. And I didn't really know how to pitch a comic. So I was just kind of I had this script and I was giving it to people, which, you know, no one really will sit down and read a script. (laughs) But I luckily I actually got to turn that script into an issue of um, my first issue I did of Batman Strikes. Uh, I got to expand that little eight page story that I'd written and do it as an entire 20 page comic for that. And so that that was a very a very fun thing too when you kind of first get those for you know those stories in although that's that issue i don't think i did the best job of making it feel like an issue of the tied into that cartoon it was more like a straight batman story (laughs) that just took place in the the batman world (laughs) i've I've since really tried to match the style like if i'm doing an animated tie-in i really try to match that um that world that they create as much as i can because i think it's otherwise it is doing a disservice like i don't want to put too much of my version of Batman and when it's this is the this is a specific version of Batman and so I wanted to match that so kind of changed my approach on that over the years
1: (laughs) brilliant thank you Kendra I think we will still be a last round of questions before we let Matt go so your next one please
0: uh, my next and my last one would just be, what is what is a piece of advice that you wish someone had told you when you had first started writing that you would like to give to others who look as into writing as as their profession?
3: Um, I think I, I got a lot of good advice when I was run. I I went to a lot of conventions as a kid, as many as I could. I lived in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, and my parents were nice enough. They would they. I think either once or twice they drove me to the, um, the big show, which was in, um, there was a WizardCon in Chicago. So they, that was, um, they just knew that I wasn't changing my mind and I wasn't going to be, you know, a job that was like a dentist or something that would be reliable. <laughs> and so they, they did help a lot with that nurture, that interest. Um, and so I got an opportunity to ask and I'd ask every professional I met, you know, artist or writer, because I wanted to do uh, both originally. I, um, actually went to college at the School of Visual Arts, which is um, the only um, school in uh, in our country that has um, uh, a cartooning major at the time. Um, I'm not sure if anything has sprouted up since. So, um, you know, going to, to that particular school, I got a lot of advice. And going to an art school, I realized I wanted to be a writer. So <laughs> there was a lot of uh, – uh, I realized how intense uh, this was. And I just didn't have the passion. Every I would be drawing a comic and I really was already in my head going on to the next one so I, I once I get the idea out I didn't really want to linger on it and make it amazing I, you know that so I, I wasn't a natural artist and I met a lot of amazing artists this is what they do they just fill sketchbook after sketchbook because this is their passion and I was that way but my books were all just notes and notes and notes and with a couple like sketches for a drawing or something but um, more for story ideas and so I got I did get a lot of good advice um, in college and. You know, at different conventions and speaking to professionals. But I think the um, the thing I would say to anybody starting in comics in today's world is get a day job you enjoy as well, (laughs) because it takes a long time. And I I was naive uh, to thinking, oh, I'm just gonna get um, you know, I can I'm gonna make a living off this right out out of uh, college. And I graduated in uh, 2001, and I I wasn't. I think it took about nine years before I could make a full living off of writing, just writing. Um, so, cause I know when I turned, when I turned 30, I quit my day job and said, this is it. I'm just gonna, I was getting more and more clients and I was either going to have to turn down projects or I was going to have to quit my day job. And it was not a, uh, it was not, not a question for me. I definitely did that, but that helped me, um, was having that a good day job that I enjoyed. I bounced around from a lot of temp jobs and, um, bad jobs for a while and then i got a job that was actually it was ridiculous i was um it was for this research company that was has been bought out by nielsen since but we literally just watched television and then wrote trivia questions about what we were watching uh to to put on this website and it was kind of like people were um answering like questions about product placement and and things and things like that and just um comprehension the shows and then they would sell that information back to the networks and so that job had a lot of downtime because we'd watched the shows live. And so I would get I would I would volunteer for the worst jobs because they would I the worst one was Martha Stewart living. It was just awful because it was we had to write about all the product placement and there was so much product placement in that show. And so I would come in for that and then I would volunteer to work on the late show. And so because it, it was an hourly job. And so I would be all the way until working on Letterman at night. And I would have like this gap of like sometimes three hours. And that's what I would do comic writing. I wrote, um, I, I remember I wrote a Batman versus Dracula uh, story for uh, the Batman strikes while at the job. And <laughs> so it's, I think that's the, the important thing is have a job where you don't mind um, doing, you know, you're something that's probably not even creative because that way you can get your creative, you can focus your creative energy elsewhere. And a lot of, Comic professionals, they are working comic professionals that also have a day job. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way, you know, our, their lives are. And a lot of times that can give you the freedom to pick and choose assignments more. Um, But uh, like I said, that's one of the reasons I work in um, writing prose and comics because I can, I can juggle it. And um, so one is almost can be like a day job when the other one isn't. So (laughs) it it works out whether it's, I still probably, I, I, I'm not probably I couldn't make a living just on comics right now I have to I'd have to write something else or you know work in something else so I'm happy that I can write these kind of books that are comic adjacent or just completely um different things like chapter books and things and uh just make a living on it so I there is the that is the one thing that people have to be taking into consideration is the practical like freelance is hard you're not going to get job after job all the time and so there you do need something to fall back on for a while
2: Especially.
0: That is solid all right. advice. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Brad, I'll turn it over to you. Okay.
2: Uh, you know, uh, between all the research and, you, you know, you're so prolific, uh, and you mentioned, you know, the reading the 4,000 or whatever it was Wolverine comics, but you.
3: 100 for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And you have such passion for the comics and that world how do you how do you maintain that passion when there is so much into the work side of things how do you still keep the enjoyment of that going
3: uh yeah that is that is something i, I think everybody kind of struggles with a bit is because when in, when your hobby becomes your job it's doesn't feel like a hobby and that can be a problem um because it's you know like i've said i as a you know even in high school if there was some sort of comic book Programming on television, there was no way I would miss it. And now, besides the fact that there's so many options, at the end of the day, a lot of times I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to watch anything like that. <laughs> so, so there is that still does happen as far as like I'll, I'll lose my enthusiasm for certain things. But um, for me, what it is is it's I have a um, one of the boxes that I'm not in a hurry to read. I have a, a lo- entire long box of Bronze Age um, comics, and that's where I'll go to um, if I need some inspiration or something. I'll like, here's a here's a Denny O'Neill comic that I've only like, uh, you know, I've never read fully or something, or I've browsed through or something for a project and never got to read or, you know, so things like that. Um, I'll, I'll keep up, you know, uh, I have things like, um, there's a lot of different things on my bookshelf. There are different stages of being read like those Dick Tracy collections. There are, there are some that are purposely not getting read because those to go to when I need some inspiration for something or, you know, or, uh, that that sort of thing or i'll revisit revisit some things that i loved like so much as a kid that i can just remember being like 100 you know into and that always helps and then a lot of times these projects will be uh like the character i just did a book about for marvel it's it's something i wasn't reading in the 80s and 90s and even though the book covers this character's whole history uh I got, I really focused in on those comics that I would have read when I was a kid. And it was just so much fun. Like these are things I saw on the racks and didn't have enough money to buy. And so when I, when I can, when I can delve into that sort of thing and kind of reignite that, you know, teenager feeling of going into a comic store and getting excited. (laughs) And that's something else I do too, a lot, um, which my wife's not crazy about, but whenever we travel, I visit the local comic shops because I just, I still love going and seeing different stores especially if they have um i mean for new readers there you kind of need to be like more of a boutique store these days but i still love something about a comic store that hasn't been touched in the since the 80s that's just like you know mm-hmm. uh, has that comics that old book smell kind of to it and it's <laughs> got some of those back issue bins might have dust on them but you might find some real treasures in there and uh so that, that's still another way that I, I keep my enthusiasm up like when i go to comic cons i'll I'll even leave a con sometimes to go look at the local comic shop downtown, even though they probably have a booth at the show, mm-hmm. but it, it's just, yeah, I think on our we went to Hawaii on our honeymoon and we went to at least three comic shops in Hawaii because I <laughs> needed to see what comic book <laughs> stores were like, in like an island Love parent, it. you know, <laughs> so huh, just great. That,
2: but <laughs> <laughs> great. Thank you so much for that answer. And Steve. Brilliant. Thanks
1: so much, Matt. So obviously I have to close off the show. Talking about your new book, obviously, my review went live today. Thanks for the kind words about the review, but thanks for giving us such a great book. Now, I sold it my way with my review. Uh, let's tell our listeners um, why you think they should pick up this brilliant new book, Exploring Gotham City.
3: Uh, I think it's I, one, one thing I was trying to do with this book was was make it um, something that anybody could approach, whether if you're a, a brand new reader uh, or someone who's read this for a long, as long as I have, or, or, or longer. Um, I think that's one of the, the balances that this book, at least I hope it hits that, uh, uh, because that's one of the things is all these coffee table books have to be accessible and they have to be someone who's just discovering comics for the first time. And so I think this, I, I think this book does a good job of um, telling people, hey, you know, if you've never seen Gotham, here's a lot of the cool stuff about it. Let's take a look at it. But if you're a longtime fan, I throw in plenty of things in there that are, are kind of like, um, oh, yeah, there was a, you know, Poison Ivy had a hideout on Park Row in Gotham City for a while. You know, things you might have forgotten from comics that you read, uh, you know, back uh, decades ago. So I, I, I hope people find it like that. But uh, And if not, otherwise, the visuals in this book are just – incredible it's it's one of my favorite books just because of how it looks um which was other another anatomy of metahuman just the way ming um, doyle drew it just is fantastic and you know when a book comes out better than expectations uh that's that's always very exciting for for me to see the pages or something so and this is one of those books that i think it's it's probably in my definitely my might even be in my top five books that i've written so far and that out have it becomes harder and harder when there's you know the more you write so but yeah i I hope people enjoyed as much as i had enjoyed writing it
1: brilliant well i loved it thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us thanks for all the great work and obviously we'll be keeping up with all of it as it comes out anything else on the pipeline anything new that you can talk about that we should look out for uh i think i want
3: to say that i've that everything um this one is the probably the biggest one that's just on the that's coming out right now um the other two big ones that are coming out are still in the secret area so (laughs) probably probably i um other yeah i you can just always you know catch up on my website um matthewkmanning.com i update the blog whenever at least i try to update the blog as much as i can um in between projects um when i you can always tell when i'm in it doing an intensive book um because my blog starts to get less and less frequent um i i did do recently the dc encyclopedia the um, new edition that's coming out of that um it will be um out in a, I think in a few months they're so just finally putting the finishing touches on it now that um every once in a while i'll get an email nice. about it. and for that one i wrote all of the large entries so it those books you really can't one person can't tackle them especially with the um, timeline involved so all the main entries in that book, I've, I wrote all the one-page, two-page spreads um, or some longer ones like for Batman's entry. So that was another one that was fun to get to research some of the characters that I've fallen behind on. And, and that one, that's the new edition of that. Um, it's coming out. I'm I, Again, I don't know the date on it, but they just um, – I literally – I think we just put it to bed this week,
1: hopefully. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Right well, so before we wrap up Kendra and Brad let us know where we can find your work and then we'll do the same with our wonderful guests so Kendra where can our listeners find you across the internet
0: I can be found doing news and review pieces for uh, Dark Knight News and DC Comics News uh, as well as Fantastic Universes and reviews for a plethora of other things so if you if you like to read anything that I have or if you have questions You can find me on Twitter at DevourAllWords.
2: Okay, and you can find me uh, writing news and reviews, uh, DC Comics News. Uh, You can also find me on the Harley Quinn uh, podcast on the DC Comics News podcast network. And you can follow me on Twitter at uh, FlickyB1. And Steve, where can people find you?
1: As for me, for my written work, news, reviews and interviews, just type Steve, J Ray or Fantastic Universes into your search engine of choice. Listen to this wonderful show with my friends and the occasional super guest star like Mr. Manning. Or um, just hit me up on Twitter at Lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. Now, our special guest, Mr. Manning, where can um, your readers, um, our listeners catch up with you on the social media? internet on social media and where can they read more of your stuff and let us know about your blog
3: oh uh, yeah it's uh, my my website is uh, is just Matthew uh, K Manning com and I'm on uh, Twitter uh, at Matthew K Manning and I'm also on Facebook uh, one of the Matthew Manning's on there <laughs> and, and then uh, just otherwise uh I've got stuff that should be in most bookstores and uh, in comic shops. Uh, always support uh, your local comic store whenever you can and uh, independent bookstores, especially now it's it's more important than ever to keep these places in business and uh, that's about it for me.
1: Brilliant, thank you so much. and Matt, is there something you think all our listeners and all our readers should be doing?
3: Uh, yes, of course they should uh, read more comics.
1: <laughs> Yay, thank you so much. Have a great evening and thanks for joining us.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.